Singe, Sange, Zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. One day, in 2010, a few months before I moved to France, I remembered seeing photos of the American burlesque dancer Dita Von Teese, who had just moved to Paris herself. She was strolling through Charles de Gaulle Airport, her luggage cart piled high with cases and cases of matching pink Louis Vuitton luggage, escorted by her boyfriend, the Count Louis-Marie de Castabayac, to a waiting limousine. That's going to be me. I sort of half-joked to myself. When I actually moved to Paris a few months later, my flight to Charles de Gaulle was cancelled due to an active volcano filling the airspace with ash. I waited to get on a standby flight to Brussels. When I landed, I waited and waited for my luggage to come down the luggage carousel, only to learn it had gone to Florida instead. Just after I went through customs, I was pickpocketed of a bunch of cash in my passport. I had just enough money to get the train to Paris, where I had a meltdown in the public toilets at Gare du Nord. Not long after I settled into the tiniest apartment I've ever lived in, I got to know my friend Christian Radakovich. Christian was my gateway to the Balkan community in Paris. Not that I was looking for a Balkan community, but that's where I wound up. I found this really interesting because when my dad moved to the U.S. in the 1960s, he somehow found a gateway into the Balkan community and made friends with a bunch of Serbians. Now that I had changed countries too, I wound up making friends with a bunch of Croatians. Of course, my Croatian friends were all artists, photographers, composers, gallery owners, fashion designers, and doctorate students. We were expats, not immigrants like our parents. Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus visits Adrian Sierra Garcia's installation, One Day Berlin, at the Ben Hodge and Chalali Gallery in Berlin. Christian and I both know Adrian from Paris, where the art scene is small, even smaller if you're outside of the institutionalized haute famille, bougie, Académie des Beaux-Arts circle. Christian is so far outside the circle, he commutes to art school in Amsterdam. Adrian is so far outside the circle, he moved to Berlin. 
Adrian made a name for himself in Paris when he transformed the Pont de Simone de Beauvoir with clear plastic tubing containing pulsing, multicolored LED lights. The bridge in Paris is out of the way of the general tourist routes, and Adrian's transformation made a usually pretty cold, modernist bridge breathe life. It was a hugely ambitious project, this wonderful piece of public art that was outside the sphere of the normal French Art Institute offerings. It was alive and interactive and invited the whole city to participate, regardless of the circles they were in. When I went to the U.S. Embassy to report my stolen passport, I had to take a number and a seat. The seats were all occupied by people applying for visas to America. They looked like they had been waiting for days. When my number was called, I was interviewed by the vice ambassador herself. Why do you think you were pickpocketed? She asked. Because of the signs all over the Brussels airport saying, beware of pickpockets, I replied. She didn't ask any more questions, just stamped my form and told me a new passport would arrive in the mail. When I left, not one of the visa applicants had been called. The last time I saw Christian was here in Berlin, back in November. He was on a break from his art studies, passing through town, catching up with friends. It was the night of Adrian's opening, so we met up to go to the opening of One Day Berlin together. The Van Hagen Jalali Gallery is located on Torstrasse in Berlin's Mitte. It occupies a turn-of-the-century storefront building, with a front room featuring huge display windows on the street side that you walk through and up three steps to get to the elevated showroom space. Several older buildings on the street have an identical layout, and they would have been perfect for their original use as shops, pharmacies, tailors and dressmakers, with a street-level storefront display and space for fittings, measurings, exchanges, and other not-so-public business literally a step removed from the public eye. As art spaces, as several of them are these days, they can be challenging spaces to occupy. The front display room of the Ben Hajin Jalali Gallery is currently completely occupied with a large black iron structure, a kind of jungle gym for goth adults that fills the space wall to wall and from the floor almost to the ceiling. Flashing LED lights stain the air red. A soundtrack of industrial noise and news clips fills all the spaces the structure doesn't. It occupies the space so fully, so three-dimensionally, the space literally can't be used for anything else as long as the structure is there. When you're standing on the street looking in, you can see through the structure all the way to the middle room. You can see people there, hear music, there are more flashing lights. It looks like a party, but how do you get there? You have to climb through the structure, somehow find footholds and passageways through this massive ironwork wall. But I didn't want to ruin my coat, so I asked Christian to do it and find a side door to let me in. And he did. And that, my friends, is what privilege looks like.
Entering the interior room, Adrian's signature LED light tubes pulse from the ceiling, while electronic dance music pulses through the walls. Adrian sometimes side gigs as a DJ. It's a party, but not my kind of party. I'm not into the club scene. The flashing red lights make me think of cop cars and ambulances rather than raves. Thank God I have the option to leave. There's not much else in the interior room. I guess it's basically what you make of it. But after your eyes adjust to the lights a bit more, you notice that the walls are lined at eye level with silver squares, about 13 by 13 centimeters each, all of them bearing a QR code printed in black. Hold your phone up, and each QR code takes you to a website, a video, or a news article about the border wall between the United States and Mexico, from documenting the thousands of people who have been killed trying to cross the wall, to Trump's alarmist tweets about an approaching caravan, to his ongoing calls and government shutdowns to get a wall built, to the Mexican government's responses to Trump's tantrums, the already existing border wall that has been in place since President Bush and that weaves in and out of the landscape between the two countries and that ends descending into the sea in Adrian Sierra Garcia's native Tijuana. Adrian was born in Tijuana, Mexico, migrated to Los Angeles as a child, and took the oath for American citizenship while at university. Like so many people who migrate and move, he no longer has a single national identity or cultural heritage, but is a blend of the countries and cultures he's immersed himself in. But what he doesn't possess is also where he doesn't belong. For decades, the United States has not been in complete control of its borders. I had no idea it was this bad. While there is an enormous amount of documentation on the U.S.-Mexico border wall, Trump's antics, and their very real human cost, standing in the interior room of the Benhajan Jalali Gallery, with the lights flashing and the music pumping, doesn't make me want to stand there and read all of it from the silver QR code squares. Sort of drawn across this landscape that is, I think, beautiful, has its own culture. It's horrible. And it's just sort of being slowly riven it's by horrible. This. It's as if the silver-squared QR codes marching along the interior room of the gallery represented people. Maybe people who had successfully made it from the street through the Iron Wall, standing on the perimeter of the party, not knowing the language or the landscape, reduced to a number, a digital code, as though each code represents a human, or a family, or a child. They make me think of the old conspiracy theory over zebra codes, the digital encoded product stripes that are scanned at checkouts, and how when they first entered wide use, there was some panic that they would eventually be tattooed onto people's heads as a way for the government to identify and keep track. And for some reason, the QR codes also make me think of Shirley Jackson's classic American short story, The Lottery, about an annual lottery in a small American town, an old holiday that has lost all meaning, but the town continues to honor anyway out of a sense of tradition, identity, national pride.
tension building as the town gathers on the square. Names are called and a winner is chosen, only to discover that the grand prize is getting stoned to death. A lottery for sacrifice rather than celebration, even if no one can remember what the sacrifice is for. One day, after I had moved to Berlin, I had a conversation with two women, one Australian, one German, about immigration, changing countries, being new in the city, and how easy it was to get lost. In the U.S., I had always asked the police for directions, I said. I mean, my feeling was, they work for me. The other women said they would never, neither of them, trust the police. The Australian woman is a sex worker. The German woman is black. She moved here from Uganda when she was a child. I actually really like the idea of this occupation, this massive structure taking over this smallish space, because there's no way it could have gotten there on its own as one piece, and there's no way it's getting out unless it's completely dismantled, like the Trump administration. Coming through that jungle gym of a wall is itself a feat in logistics. While from the outside, it looks like a simple grid. Once you enter it, you discover there's no clear path. The iron structure was built on site, over time, and with the help of many people working on it and a general plan. But just like city centers that may start out on an orderly grid, but add some humans and they end up sprawling out in all different directions with competing logics and contradicting systems. One day, back in Paris, when I still lived there, I was sitting on the steps of the Sacre Coeur with some friends. A scruffy man plunked himself down next to me and asked me if I had my passport, my new passport, and my wallet. Check your bag, he said, and flashed me his ID, undercover cop. My wallet and my passport were both missing. I had been pickpocketed, he said, but the pickpocket had been caught in the act and apprehended. I'd only have to go to the station to file a report and reclaim my things. I'll take you, he said. At the station, a different police officer recorded my information, name, address, phone number, and returned to my passport and my wallet. A month later, this same officer sent me a message on Facebook, asking me on a date. He had looked up my name in the police files, he said, and my address, too. Privilege of the police, he said. We know everything about you. That's the thing. You go through all the trouble of climbing through this obstacle, making it over and through this maze of a wall, and you expect a reward on the other side. Instead, you just get a room. Maybe it's a party, but maybe it's not your kind of party. All that promise, and then what? What do you do now that you're in the promised land? How do you leave your mark? Let people know you're here, now that you've won the lottery. Pilot 
One Day Berlin has been extended for a full year at the Ben Hajin Jalali Gallery to help facilitate talks and interventions with collaborating artists from around the world. One Day Berlin is part of a larger project to create a global community to transcend borders and nationalism with the goal and the hope of ending this modern form of American colonialism and separatism, and one day to tear down the wall so the people can dance again. You can visit Adrian Sierra Garcia's One Day Berlin at the Benhajin Jalali Gallery, now Benhajin Jalali Museum, located at Torstrasse 170 in Berlin. Original audio featured in this episode is from the exhibit One Day Berlin, composed by MDL under the direction of Adrian Sierra Garcia, track used with permission of the artist. Artipus is produced in Berlin for Zynga Network, and you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify under Zynga Network. Just search for S-I-N-G-E Network. Artipus is also broadcast in France exclusively on World Radio Paris. WRP on your DAB dial. I'm Susie Colick, and you've been listening to Artipus. Art you can hear. You've been listening to Artipus, produced and edited in Berlin by Susie Kollek, with original theme music by Hotlegs, for the Zinga Network, S-I-N-G-E-Network.com.